the, the worship music aligns really well with what we're talking about today. Um, it is uh, my prayer that by the end of the message, uh, that song that we just sang will be our reality, and not that it is well everything that's going on, but it is well with my soul. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this topic, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for his grace and his power uh, made perfect in our weakness. May our uh, faith um, overwhelm our fear and uh, our, our love of you may, may it overwhelm our circumstances and uh, that we would feel safe and secure in you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. A man uh, was uh, facing a lot of fear. He didn't know what to do about it. And uh, he decided he would maybe seek out some counseling uh, to see if the counselor could do anything. But he was on a pretty tight budget and said, we'll just kind of see what this is going to cost. So he goes to the doctor and he says, listen, doctor, uh, here's, here's kind of my problem. Every time I get into bed, I really, I have a ton of fear that somebody's under the bed. And so sometimes I'll get out of the bed and I'll get under the bed. And then I feel, feel like just overwhelming fear that someone's on top of the bed. And this has been going on for months. It's disrupting my sleep. I, I really don't know what to do about it. And the counselor said, listen, I, I, I can solve your problem. It, it's not that big of a deal. A lot of people have these types of fears. Um, you just kind of come to me and we'll do about five sessions. Uh, they're going to be about $100, $150 a session and I'll get you taken care of. And he said, all right, let me just kind of think about it, pray about it, kind of see if it doesn't get better on, on its own. And I, you know, I'll let you know what I'm going to do. And so about six months later, the, the counselor uh, sees the man kind of walking down the road and they lived in the same neighborhood. And he said, listen, you never, you never came back. Is your sleep doing okay? Is, is everything is everything cool, cool at home? And he said, yeah, actually, uh, a friend of mine, you know, you were going to charge $100, $150 for five sessions. A friend of mine actually took care of it for free. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, my friend came over and told me to cut the legs off the bed. Um, and I didn't go first either. That's okay. Um, and you really do kind of wish it were that easy. To, to solve fear and to solve anxiety. The truth is it's not. And if there was gonna be a descriptor that you'd give for the last year, 15 months, whatever, it would be the descriptor of, of fear. The truth of us, a lot of us in this room, probably every single person in this room and those of you uh, watching online, we have, have had some kind of fear that has disrupted our life and is in our heart and in our mind. Economic fear, uh, political fear, social fear, health fear, uh, all of us, every single one of us, I suspect, puts our head on the pillow at night. And as we're getting ready to, to go to sleep, there are things that come to our mind and come into our heart that we're afraid of. And listen, I don't think this is, I think our culture, if I can kind of play uh, spiritual doctor just a little bit, I think our culture has been amped up for a good long while. If you were going to do just kind of a recent kind of history study of our nation, my personal opinion is that I think a lot of this can, goes all the way back to 9-11, uh, 20 years ago when the terrorist attacks happened. Uh, I, I think following that, our culture has lived in a lot of fear. Just kind of one thing after another since September 11, 2001. And listen, um, history is going to judge the way we handle the pandemic. Uh, that's not for you to decide. That's not for me to decide. History is going to decide that. Honestly, long after we're all gone, history is going to decide it. They're still talking about uh, the 1918 pandemic and how that was handled. So we're all going to be long gone by the time they figure out how it was handled. But I really believe some of the response, not all of the response, but some of the response to the pandemic can be viewed in light of a culture that has been afraid for 20 years. 
just kind of one thing after another in our culture, and we've been afraid and afraid and, and afraid. And the pandemic, I think, can be viewed in light of that. And listen, the presence of fear uh, is not a unique attribute to our time. It's just not. As a matter of fact, we've seen it throughout the Abraham story uh, that we're kind of uh, rounding the, the last curve on here. We're, we're going to be uh, about four weeks left to go until Easter, and we'll be uh, done with this series right around Easter. So we've seen fear in the Abraham story. You remember uh, how it's gone all the way back in Genesis 12. It feels like forever ago, uh, but God issued a call on Abraham's life. He said, listen, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. Just start walking, and I'll let you know when you get there sort of thing. And along with that call came promises to Abraham. He said, listen, I'm going to make your name great. Uh, I'm going to be a blessing to you, and you'll be a blessing to others. And so there was a call, and there were promises. And listen, one by one, these promises have been at least partially fulfilled. Right? There's a promise of land in, in Genesis 12. And like in Genesis 13, we see Abraham settling into the land. Uh, there's a promise of blessing. And we have seen Abraham just abundantly blessed by God, just supernaturally blessed by God. Uh, so, so there's been blessing. And the last piece of the puzzle has been this nation building piece that God has said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as uh, the, skies and the, the, sky and the, the stars in the sky uh, and the sand on the seashore. That's how great your descendants are going to be. But Abraham and his wife, Sarah, didn't have any children. So right up until about a chapter or two ago, the story has been, how is God going to build a nation through this childless couple? How, how is God going to do that? And Abraham and Sarah have tried to help God along. They're like, oh, it, you know, maybe it's going to be Lot. And God's like, I assure you, it's not going to be Lot. You know, maybe it's going to be Eleazar. No, nope, we're, we're not going to do. We're, we're not going to do that. And they've tried all these different things to prod God along and to help God along. And they've all kind of ended in failure. And finally, just a couple chapters ago, we saw God say, "All right, Abraham, the chosen child, the one through whom the nation is going to start, will come through you. But it's also going to come through Sarah, his wife." And that was the first time God had kind of said. It will be Sarah. You don't need to keep trying to help me. It's going to be Sarah. And then God says in just a chapter ago to them, listen, by this time next year, so in one year, by this time next year, uh, you will have a son and you're to give him the name Isaac. And that is what makes the story we're going to read today so peculiar, right? It is next Sunday, we are going to study the birth of Isaac, the birth of the chosen child. And so it's, it's in the middle of that context that this happens. All right, here, here it is on the screen for you. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, uh, said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. All right. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. What are you doing? Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. <laughs> so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? We know from the story last week, Sodom and Gomorrah, God won't do that. Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, so I, have not, so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife. He is a prophet. He will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, 
you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die nighty night Abimelech, all right? Early the next morning, I bet it was early the next morning. I'm guessing he didn't sleep super well after that dream. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. I don't sleep, you don't sleep, all right? Abimelech called Abraham and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Hebrew translation, dude, dude, what are you doing? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place. Absolutely false. We've seen from this story that there was and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my mother, and, you know, starts doing Ancestry.com stuff, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere you go, say of me, he is my brother. What kind of marital plan is this? Happy Valentine's Day, baby. You know how you can show your love to me? Tell everyone you're my sister, right? No. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle, male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. And to Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover uh, the offense against you uh, before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving uh, because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. That's Genesis 20. Now, I'm going to use a kind of complex Hebrew phrase here to describe what has happened. What Abraham does here, and here's the phrase, is really dumb. Not to blaspheme the name of Abraham, but but this is really, really dumb. And it's not just dumb maritally. It is dumb maritally. Guys, let me help you out. It's dumb maritally to hand your wife over to another person. It is dumb maritally, but it's also dumb spiritually. Remember what was promised to Sarah just a chapter ago. Uh, what was uh, promised to Sarah just a chapter ago was that by this time, to Abraham and Sarah, by this time next year, they would have a child. They would have the chosen child through whom God was gonna start the nation. By handing her over to Abimelech, if Abimelech had slept with her, the paternity of Isaac would have been forever questioned for all of history, making a mess of the promises of God. And this is why God intervenes in this situation. God intervenes, he is trying to protect Abraham from himself. He says, you are about to make a mess of things that is going to go on for thousands of years past. I have to stop you from making this big of a mess. And why would Abraham, why on earth would Abraham be so reckless with his wife, with his life, with the promises of God? Why on earth would Abraham be so reckless? Abraham says in the story why he does it. He's afraid. And this is not the first time we've seen this. Remember, way back in Genesis 12, God says, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and they go, and there's a famine in the land, and they have to go to Egypt. And remember, Abraham pulls the same stunt in Egypt. How does it go in Egypt? Well, spoiler alert, not great, 
right? It doesn't go great. And so Abraham, and you could almost justify it because this is the beginning of his journey with God and he's just kind of learning faith. But listen, a lot has happened since Genesis 12. And God has been incredibly, incredibly faithful to Abraham. And yet he still finds himself walking in fear. And here's my question this morning. How is that possible? Abraham is on the Mount Rushmore of faith. Ask the book of Hebrews. He's on the Mount Rushmore of faith. And here he is after everything God has said and after everything God has done, after every promise God has kept, Abraham still has these moments where he says, God's not gonna protect me, I need to protect myself. God's not gonna make it happen, I need to make it happen. There are still these moments where he is given to fear. In the fall of 2017, Cheryl and I knew a couple of things. Uh, we knew that her job uh, was gonna be coming to an end. The plant that she worked for at the time was closing. And we knew kind of at that same time that we learned that the plant was closing, we knew God was calling us to home education of our son for at least a season. And so we knew Cheryl was gonna be getting laid off and that we wanted to homeschool Sam uh, at least for a season. And so I started to work kind of a different schedule uh, so I could start the homeschooling. Nobody wants me doing it permanently, but it was you know, a stopgap uh, until her job ended. And so knowing these things, Cheryl went to her boss and she put in that she would be in the earliest group to be laid off. We were thinking that this would be kind of a uh, uh, toward Christmas time or, or potentially at the latest in the new year that she would be the first to be laid off in the fall and then she would take over home education, receive her severance and all of our family would be very happy. She was denied that request. And she was told that her layoff would happen in May of the next year. Now you've never heard a story before where people want to be laid off, all right? This is a weird situation, all right? So we were kind of hoping for the earlier layoff and uh, she wanted to be laid. I said, no, you'll be laid off in May of next year. And we were upset. I'm not gonna lie to you. We didn't know what to do. Uh, I talked to our elders and I had planned to work the schedule. Uh, I was working for a short period of time, not a period of time that was that long. And we were like, well, she could just resign, but we didn't want to give up the severance. And so we were discouraged. This was October that she was told it would be May. In November of that year, of November of that same year, Lila Grace was born, our daughter. We brought her home through adoption. And Cheryl went on maternity leave that November and her company, seeing the handwriting on the wall, allowed her to work one day a week, which was my day off, one day a week until she would be laid off the following May. It gave us extra income, health insurance for that whole time, and here's what we learned. God had it all along. We were mad we were frustrated in October. God knew in November what was going to happen, and God had our situation all along. Now, you would think that seeing the way that God worked that way in 2017 and seeing the way that God worked through my son's adoption just a few years before, miraculous stuff that I could, you know, I'm not going to keep you past your lunch, I promise you, but I could tell you story after story, you would think that seeing the way that God worked in those situations, you would think that I would never be afraid again. That I would stand in confidence with God and his will and his desire and his plan and his resources and I would never be afraid ever again. But I am. All the time. On the regular. Why? See, here's the deal. 
we often think of fear and faith as opposite of each other. Fear and faith are opposite. That If you're going to be a person of faith, you can't have any fear. And if you're going to walk in fear, you're not walking in faith. They're actually not opposite of each other. As a matter of fact, fear and faith often grow in the same environment. And the environment that they often both grow in is an environment called uncertainty. And so when you're facing uncertainty, when you don't know what's going to happen, when you don't know the future, there are two things that grow in that environment. The first is your fear, because you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what is going to take place. So fear grows. The other thing that has the opportunity to grow is your faith that you learn to trust God. You learn to re be reliant on God. You learn to trust his resources. You, you learn to just kind of wait on him. Both fear and faith grow in the same environment. And because of that, biblically, we actually often see them grow together in the same little flower pot, in the same environment, in the same circumstances, we see both grow. Let me kind of point this out to you in a couple different ways. Uh, there's a story that goes all the way back in, into the book of Daniel. And there was a king in that story, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a narcissist. And he said, listen, I'm going to build a huge gold statue to myself. And, and every time this music plays, uh, you are to stop everything that you're doing. And you are to worship the golden image I have set up for me. And he says, if you don't do this, you are going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And so a lot of people went ahead and worshiped the golden idol. Well, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, listen, we worship God and we worship God alone. We can't worship the golden image you have set up King Nebuchadnezzar. So he threatens them. He you know, you know, turns uh, the screws on them. He's trying to you know, get them to do what he wants them to do. And they just refuse. And so they're brought before the king and they have this moment of great faith. Let me show you what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is one of my favorite speeches in the whole Bible. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us from our, your majesty's hand. So this is the moment of great faith and great grit and great perseverance. We're not bowing. You throw us in. We're not bowing. And then you've got verse 18, this little phrase. But even if he does not. So there is a part of them that believes there's a possibility that God won't save them. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, do you really believe, under reading that whole text, do you really believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no fear and no anxiety about the situation they were facing? I was born in the morning. It wasn't yesterday morning, right? Yeah, absolutely they had fear and absolutely they had anxiety. They were facing their death. But here's, I, I strongly suspect just based on 18 alone that they were afraid that there was this little piece of them was like, God might not save us and we're gonna be killed. We're gonna be thrown into the fire. And, and, and they're, they're strongly suspicious of that. But here's what happens. Their fear, their fear is alongside their faith and they didn't allow their fear to keep them from doing the right thing. Both were present. Faith is present. You see faith in that speech, right? Faith is present. Fear is present. But fear did not overwhelm their faith. Right? Let me give you another example. Uh, the story of David and Goliath. Another kind of famous story. 
David is uh, delivering lunch to his older brothers who are on the battlefield, and this giant comes out, and he wants to challenge someone to one-on-one combat, all right, and, and winner take all, all right? Whoever, whoever wins their uh, army will, will be the victor, and the other army will bow to them, all right? One kind of battle, winner take all, and no one wants to fight this giant, which I totally understand because nobody ever wants to fight me, And it makes total sense to me that no one wants to take him up on this. But David hears this guy blaspheming the name of God. And so he challenges him to a duel. Do you really think, as David was facing that giant, do you really think that he had no fear? (laughs) Come on. Of course he had fear. Fear was present and faith was present, but his fear did not keep him from doing the thing God had called him to do. One last example, and this is the best one of all, consider Jesus. Before he goes to the cross, there's this moment in the garden, uh, and uh, like I said, this is just hours before he goes to the cross, and here's what it says. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And look at verse 44. And being in anguish. You ever thought about Jesus being in anguish before? Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood. This is a a condition people have when they're facing great anxiety. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He's in anguish. Anxiety is coursing through his veins. But it doesn't stop him from doing what the Father had called him to do. It doesn't stop him from going to the cross and being faithful to God's plan. I think a better image rather than faith and fear being opposite, I think a better image of the relationship between fear and faith is a teeter-totter. That they both exist on the teeter-totter a lot of times at the same time, but depending on what is going on, one carries more weight than the other. So at different, t- at different times in your life, you've seen where, where you've had some fear and you've had faith and fear has overwhelmed faith. And you've been anxious and afraid and it's just overwhelmed. And then there are these other times where the scale goes in the other direction and your faith has overwhelmed your fear. And in a time that, we are faithful, and that we've had a lot of fear in the last year, you know what my advice would not be to people? My advice would not be, you know what you need to do with your fear? Stop. Just stop being so afraid, so easy. Right, just that, that's not real life, it's not true. And I, I, here's what I would say instead I would say, Yeah, fear and faith often grow in the same environment, and they're often on the different sides of the, of the teeter totter. Here's what I would say to you not just stop being so afraid, I would say, Be overwhelmed by God, be overwhelmed by His goodness, be overwhelmed by His grace, be overwhelmed by His promises. Give weight to that. And we often think that the overwhelming advice in the Bible, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we think what the Bible says about fear is simply don't do it. 
Don't be afraid. Stop doing it. You know, just set it aside and, and stop being so afraid. But I want to read you some of these verses because I actually don't think the Bible teaches that. The Bible does say do not be afraid, but look at it in its full context. The Bible is describing exactly what I'm describing to you right now, where both of these things are growing and both of them are on the teeter-totter, but faith is overwhelming fear. All right, let me show you a couple of these. It says uh, in Isaiah 41.10, so do not, uh, do not fear. Right there it is. All right, do not fear. And you could stop right there and say, all right, yeah, yeah. So stop being afraid. That's what the Bible says. No, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So it says, no, no, no. Do not be afraid. Instead, be overwhelmed by God. When it comes to your situation, he doesn't even need both hands. He'll just uphold you with his right one. And he keeps the other one tied behind his back, right? To show you how strong he is, right? That, that he says, no, no, no. It's not just do not be afraid. It's be overwhelmed by God and his strength. Uh, when I am afraid, Psalms uh, 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not just do not be afraid. It's I'm being overwhelmed by God. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, overwhelming language, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. John 14, 27, peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world gives. Do not be worried, upset and do not be afraid. You see it? Do not be afraid. Instead, be overwhelmed by him. See, I think this is one of the points of the story that next Sunday we're gonna be seeing Isaac, the chosen child, right? Uh, the chosen child is gonna be born, the one through whom God's gonna build the nation. And this is a peculiar story right in the middle of this. That all of a sudden he's like, hey, tell everyone you're my sister. And you know, that, that whole thing, it's, it's an odd story to have right before Isaac is, is born. And I think the point of it is, is, is pretty simple. In his fear, Abraham fails. Often, he allows himself to be overwhelmed by his fear instead of being overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of God. In his fear, Abraham fails. But here's the secondary truth. God never does. God never fails. So let's allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by him. I learned something in counseling years and years ago that I was reminded of recently, and it's that your brain uh, cannot focus on two things at once. All right? So as a kid, I was having a hard time sleeping. All right? My mind has always been, just kind of goes a mile a minute, and my head goes down to hit the pillow, and all of a sudden it's like, bing, you know, this, 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 and this, I, you know. And I, I, historically, when I was a kid, I had a really hard time sleeping. So my parents took us to this fabulous therapist and the therapist said, listen, your mind cannot focus on two things at once. So when you put your head down to the pillow, I still do this to this day, by the way. When your head hits the pillow, think of something that brings you joy. And so for me, it's like vacation, being on the beach, relaxing. And when I hit the pillow and my mind is tempted to go, you know, you got this, this, and this you got to do. Instead, it's like warm breeze, sun, sand, water. I was sharing it uh, with Cheryl one time. I said, you know, this is a great technique for going to sleep. And she said, I tried to do that. And I'm like, am I wearing sunscreen? I got to wear sunscreen. You know, I mean, is, is there, I said, well, maybe it's a different thing for you. All right. You know, 
but this really works. Whatever is the thing that brings you joy, your mind can't focus on anxiety and the thing that brings you joy at the same time. And so what happens to me as I'm kind of thinking about the beach is my mind starts to relax. And Cheryl will tell you now, like I've gotten this down to a science. I, my head hits the pillow and bing, I'm out. Uh, I'm asleep and I'm on the beach, you know, in my dream sort of thing. But here's what I need to see. Faith and fear work the same way. Your brain cannot focus on two things at the same time. So you can focus on the things that bring you fear and you can become overwhelmed by life or we can focus on the things of faith and allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by God and his grace. But we get to choose that. This is something we have power and control. When you feel yourself spiraling like I do, historically had a lot of anxiety problems and you feel yourself spiraling, you say, no, no, I'm gonna focus my heart and my mind on the things of God, on the things of faith. So today I just wanna encourage you, be overwhelmed by his love. Focus on that. Be overwhelmed by his love, by how much he loves you and cares about you. That he would send his son, his one and only son, whom he loved, to die for you and to pay for your sins. Be overwhelmed by his provision. I am often overwhelmed by the provision of God in our family's life. That just the ways that he has taken care of us through uh, our adoptions and through our life, I am overwhelmed by the way he has provided. Be overwhelmed by his grace. That this is a time of year that it is great to be overwhelmed by his grace as we're getting ready to enter into the Easter season, to just be overwhelmed by the, the price he paid for our sins so we could be made right with God in this life and the next. Be overwhelmed by his help. That you are, I love that song we sang earlier, that you are never alone, ever, ever. He's there to help you by his spirit. Be overwhelmed by his spirit who, who's empowering you and helping you. Be overwhelmed by his hope that whatever struggle that you're facing today, you know resurrection always comes. Joy always comes. Grace always comes. God always shows up. And so it's just a season. This is just for a season. God is gonna show up in his greatness and majesty and bring resurrection to your situation. So just, that's my message today, is to not be overwhelmed by all the fear that, that goes on in our culture and in our life and our heart and our mind. Be overwhelmed by God and his grace, and his power, and his majesty, and his presence. Be overwhelmed by him. We're going to receive communion together. It's under your chair. Uh, and what I want to do is I want to give us a little bit of time to just be overwhelmed by his grace and his goodness. And so I'm going to open this up with prayer. I'm going to leave a little bit of time for you to express whatever you want to express to your God, uh, whatever, however you want to express your gratitude. You can kind of do that quietly with him. And then after a little bit of time, I'll come back and we'll receive communion together uh, as a church family. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, for your grace. And it really does, life feels like a teeter-totter at times where um, tomorrow morning we might be overwhelmed by fear. And later that day, overwhelmed by faith. But we want to pray that a greater and greater percentage of the time that we will be overwhelmed by you. And that we'll tip the balance in that way and just be overwhelmed by your grace and your love and our fears will begin to fade because of it. It's not enough to just say, right, stop being so afraid. Life doesn't work that way. These things grow in the same environment. But we can be overwhelmed by you. And that can help us greatly. So right now we want to express how overwhelmed we are by you.
Jesus, we are overwhelmed by your grace. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My prayer for us is that we would continue to be overwhelmed by God and his grace specifically poured out to us through Jesus. And uh, next Sunday, after 25 actual years in Abraham's life and nearly 10 chapters of scripture, Isaac is going to be born. Uh, And uh, it's an amazing uh, short story, honestly. After all of this kind of uh, shenanigans that Abraham and Sarah have been in, the birth of Isaac is about three paragraphs, right? Um, And it's just a reminder of God's like, hey, I got this. I told you I got it. I got it. I got it. So Isaac was born, right? And, you know, God's like, I had it all along. So we're going to look at that story and celebrate that story and uh, just see the way in which God always keeps his promises and always comes through. Uh, We just got to be patient with them. So we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week and uh, God bless.